Good morning. If you would, turn to the Bible to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're going to look back now for the fourth straight Sunday at this introduction that we call the prologue. My family and I hated to miss last week. We were not here. Good to be back. So good to be back with you all and to see you and to hear us singing. And I'm thankful for the other pastors that we have here in the church and especially Matt McBroom who uh, preached last Sunday on the witness of who John the Baptist is in witness to the word. And we thank God uh, for Matt and for his message. I was able to listen. I thank God that we have the the ability now to be able to do that. You know, we have all of the sermons online. You can watch them live. You can go back and watch them at any time. So we want you to be here. And uh, if you can't be here for whatever reason, uh, be sure to keep up and follow along by checking out the sermons online. This introduction to the Gospel of John is outstanding. It's called the prologue. John's going to uh, give us the whole message of what his, his picture of the story of Jesus is like. But he gives us this introduction. And I've said this every week that... He used the most profound truths of the world, of the word of God, of reality, truth, but he does it in the simplest of terms. And so you read these 18 verses that open up John's gospel, and you get it. It's not confusing. It's not overwhelming. It is is helpful. It's good. The first week was the word. The Word, and that Jesus is the Word. He is the Creator. He is God. He's the Maker of all things. The second week was the light. Jesus is the light. And the light enters into this dark world and exposes the darkness. Last week was the witness. God has a witness. Specifically, he had a man named John the Baptist that he sent right before Jesus to be a witness. And we are to be a witness as well. This week is the children of God, the children of God. And then next week, uh, June 21st, which happens to be Father's Day as well, will be our final message here, and it will be on the message from God, the message from God. And all of that is here in the prologue. So today, we're going to look at the first, or we're going to look at verses 9 through 13, verses 9 through 13 on the children of God. Read with me, if you will. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What a good passage. John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. The children of God, as we see God's plan working out throughout his creation. I have three thoughts for us today. The first is the responsibility that we get from the word, the responsibility. Secondly, the rejection of the word. We hear that they did not receive him. Lastly, the receiving of the word. Responsibility, rejection, and reception or receiving. 
Now, when I say the word there, remember, we're not just meaning the word of God. We're talking about the incarnate word, the living word. We're talking about God himself who came to us and took on flesh, who is a human being, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God's son, is the living word. The word become flesh, right? That's who we're talking about when we keep saying the word. We have that in verse 1, and we have that in verse 14. To study these first 18 verses in the introduction is to know that the word here is Christ, and that's who we're referring to. So number one, the responsibility from the word. We have a responsibility with our lives. We are not completely free to do whatever we want. It is not up to you ultimately to decide how you're going to live, who you're going to live for, what's going to make you happy, right? There are degrees in which that is completely up to you, but in the biggest and realest sense of the way, we are not that free. We are responsible to what God and Christ have made us to be. Look at verse 9. The true light. Now, the reason why he says true light right there is because he's already been talking about light. Look back at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You jump down to verse 7, it says, He came, talking about John the Baptist, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And as you've heard before, the Bible talks a lot about light, right? Jesus is the light of the world, John 8, 12. We are the light of the world, Matthew 5, 14. There's a ton of talk about being light. Let your light so shine that the world might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, right? And so there's a need, which John anticipates, to uh, distinguish or set out the real light, the true light, or the source of the light. That's what he does here in verse 9. Look at verse 9. The true light, not to be confused with all other sorts of light, sources of light, but the real true light, Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So here in verse 9, we have this phrase, and there is a ton of debate and discussion over it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And this is where I'm getting this idea of responsibility from Christ. Every person has a bit of light in them. They don't have all of the light. They don't have enough of the light, right? But every person has a bit of what God has designed them to be in them. Now, they rebel against it. They sin against it. But the light, the living word Jesus, the true light, has given light to everyone. That's what it says. John chapter 1, verse 9. So let's, let's talk about this for a few minutes, all right? Now, the Bible teaches us this type of, of, of instruction on a lot of different ways, right? You remember in the very beginning, when God was creating people, God said, let us make people in our own image. You regardless of what you look like, resemble God a little bit. You've been made in God's image. Later in John chapter 1, he says, let us make, God in, let us make man in our likeness. 
You are like God in some ways, right? And we know this, right? God has given us a conscience, and our conscience is not enough to completely steer us or drive us. It's certainly not enough to lead us to repentance and faith. It's not enough to save us and make us born again. But it is something in us of which God has made us like him to where we start to feel a sense of right or wrong. We start to feel a sense of of direction. Again, it's not, not good enough, not full enough, but it's there, right? You see this in verse 4 again. In him was life. Now certainly we know that eternal life is in Christ, but it's actually true that all life is from God. You hear people say a lot, if God were to not keep your heart beating, your heart would not keep beating. We are to know that the true light has given light to everyone. The Bible talks about how God has designed everything in such a way That even as we see beauty or observe creation, we are to know that God has done that. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We are to know that there is a maker. We are to know that we are accountable to somebody bigger than us. We do know this is what the Bible teaches us. Romans chapter 1 says, although they knew God, they didn't see fit to honor him. So they knew enough, but they didn't want to worship him with what they knew. And I think this is the idea of a little bit of light in everyone. God is at work inside of us. We are to understand, we are to understand ourselves as being made by God. You. Or people that don't listen to God. Or people that don't believe in God. Or people that don't know God. Are to know that God made them. They were designed by him. Their very hair color and eye color and height and skin color and everything about them, God made. Don't you remember places in the Bible where God would say in teaching that the the Clay never turns around to the potter and says, why am I this way? We are to know that the potter makes the clay the way he wants to, and that's how it is. And the true light, Jesus gives light to everyone. I know that Josh Womble recently has been teaching through the book of Ecclesiastes in one of the small groups, and I want to read this verse to you from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Listen to this. God has made everything beautiful in its time, Ecclesiastes 3.11. Also, God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Curious phrase, right? God has put inside of every man's heart eternity. And I had a conversation with Josh Womble about what, what all do we think that this means? It could be that man has a deep longing inside of him for something more, right? It could be that, 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 that there is a God-sized hole inside of all of us, and the only thing that's actually going to fill that hole or that longing or, that, or that, that need is God. But there is something inside of all of us that longs for eternity. It is a very small and rare view when we think that this or we is all life's cracked up to be, all it's supposed to be. It's not. We know that. 
So there is this responsibility. Listen, there is this responsibility to being a human that says that life does not begin and end with me. Decision-making does not begin and end with me. We are responsible to Jesus Christ for him making us and what he wants us to do with our lives. Again, we know we have freedoms. We are not completely free to do whatever we want to do. We are to do everything inside of, what does God think about this? Is this for God? How does this reflect upon God? God is the maker. D.A. Carson, speaking about this, says, The world, or frequently this world, in the Gospel of John, is not the universe. Listen to this. But the created order, especially of human beings and human affairs, in rebellion against its maker. Okay, so I'm talking about this idea of there's a little bit of light in all of us, and yet this is a responsibility that we get from God. Now, it's going to be really important because the very next verses say that people did not want God, did not know God. That's what he's about to say. But I'm setting that up with this responsibility, and this is what Carson is speaking to. When John writes about the world or this world, he's not so much just talking about creation. He's talking about the rebelling people against their maker. Therefore, when John tells us that God loves the world, far from being an endorsement of the world, it is a testimony to the character of God. Listen to this. God's love is to be admired not because the world is so big, but because the world is so bad. God's love is to be admired, not because the world is so big and he just has so much love, but because the world is so bad and he still loves it. In fact, the world in John's usage comprises no believers at all. Follow me. Those who come to faith are no longer of this world. We have been chosen out of this world. If Jesus is the Savior of the world, that says a great deal about Jesus but nothing positive about the world. In fact, listen, it tells us the world is in need of its Savior. You get that? The true light, Jesus, that God sent into the world, that we could know God, verse 18. The true light is also the one that made everything. Go back to verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All th- verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. And it goes on, and then it's that light, that maker, that Word, who has created everything, this Christ has put his light on everybody. And when we think about that, okay, that sounds good. We've got some creation there. We've got the influence of God. We've got the image of God. We've got the glory of God. We've got these themes in play. And so we are responsible, or we have responsibility from the Word. We are responsible to God. We are accountable to God. And that then changes or shapes or heavily impacts the way you and I view our approach to God. Hear me out. We are not, listen, we are not good looking for better. 
We are not just kind of flawed and we're looking for God to improve us. We are the darkness. We are the sinful world that has rejected its maker. And so here comes the true light coming back to save us. This is what the gospel is getting at. I think about it like this. You ever walk through Best Buy, maybe Sam's or Costco, a place like that, where when you walk in, you see all the big new TVs? You find yourself walking through there and you think, man, those are bigger and nicer and bigger picture, better picture. These are nice. And it looks like the price keeps going down, you know, and you start thinking, well, maybe I need a new TV. And then you think, well, I really don't need a new TV. I mean, I got a TV at home. TV's fine. Before I came here today, I didn't think there was anything wrong with my TV. But now that I see this, I think, and this kind of thought goes through your head of, might get another one. It'd be an upgrade. It'd be better. It'd be bigger. I might be able to afford it. And all of this stuff goes on. But yet the way we think about our old TV is not really bad. It's good. It's okay. But there are better ones. And folks, if you're not careful, there are so many people that think about themselves in that way. I'm not bad. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to hell, but God will make me better. I mean, it would be an upgrade. If, if I started believing in God, it would be an upgrade. If I start going to church, that would be an upgrade. It would be an improvement. But don't, but don't dare say that what it was before I upgraded was bad and wrong. Don't, don't, don't tell me that. Don't tell me that what I was before the, the new purchase was horrible and awful and worthy of judgment. We think about our TVs that way, and I'm afraid that too often we think about ourselves that way. I hear people talk that way. And yet, this is not what the Bible says. It's not. You and I have a responsibility from the one who made us to give glory to the one who made us, to bow down to the one who made us, to reflect the one who made us. We have a responsibility. In that responsibility, we are now left with the position of, okay, what are we going to do with it? What are you doing with it? What are we doing with this life, with this breath that's in our lungs, with this energy and strength that God has given us? What are we doing with it? What are we doing with these relationships that God has given us? What are we doing with, with all of this? What are we doing with these families that God has given us, and this income that God has given us, and these resources that God has given us? What are we doing with these, all these children that are in our lives? What are we doing with this responsibility? That is the way people made by God are to think about God. And that's where John goes next. So number one, we have a responsibility from the word, but number two, there is a rejection of the word. And this, again, this is just an introduction, so John just glosses over these gigantic truths, but these are heavy. Look at verse 10. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Wow. The maker made everything. You already said that. Made everything. Made it in glory. Made it in uh, brilliance. Made it in a way that we just stand in all of it. Then he came to it. So he made it. Then he came to it. He was in it. In the world, literally. And they didn't know him. You see that there at verse 10? He was in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That's why it's such a problem to have this responsibility. 
the true light which gives light to everyone, and yet everybody who's got some light from the true light now doesn't even know the source of the light. And, and is that not exactly what the world is? A world full of people that think they've got some light, right? They're just trying to shine the light around here, just trying to make the difference, just trying to be the difference in the world, be the good in the world. That's the attitude we see, but they will not admit or accept or believe that the source of that light, the source of that goodness is the one who made them. They will not. There is an absolute rejection of the word. Now, I could give examples all day long about what it's like when, when you're at work and the boss shows up, you're at, you're at work when the owner shows up, right? Anytime the one that's in charge shows up, everybody is on top of their game, yet not with God. Jesus showed up. He came to his earth, his creation. They didn't even recognize him. Now, the reason why they did not recognize him it's because they were looking for glory and majesty and kingship. They were looking for big and awesome and attractive. They were looking for that. And yet looking for that is just another an indictment of how badly we view ourselves. We didn't need a conquering king to show up yet. Not yet. We didn't need the judge to ride in yet. Not yet. We didn't need God to come with the, with the judgment table. We didn't need God to line us up and give us what we are owed. Oh, God, don't do that yet. And so we misunderstood all the way around. We didn't want the white horse riding in with a sword in his hand yet. Please, God, don't come that way yet. He came lowly. He came humble. He came in a way that you would not recognize that was God unless you had heard God say how he was coming. He did tell us how he was coming. He sent prophets and prophets and prophets and prophets. He sent messages and messages and messages and messages. He had a remnant all the way through. There are people who have looked for the coming Messiah from uh, all along. He came in a way that was humble and lowly, rejected and despised by the world. He was not very impressive that the world would look at him and think, that's my king. Matter of fact, they mocked him by saying, that's my king, so believing that he wasn't their king, although he is the king. And so he comes into the world, to a world that he made, and the world did not know him. J.C. Rouse says, Christ is to the souls of men what the Son, S-U-N, is to the world. He is the center and source of all spiritual light, Warmth, life, health, growth, beauty, and fertility. Like the sun, he shines for the common benefit of all mankind, for high and for low, for rich and for poor, for Jew and for Greek. Like the sun, he is free to all. Everybody may look at him. They can drink health out of his light. Listen to this. If millions of mankind were mad enough to dwell in caves underground or mad enough to bandage their eyes, if they tried to literally not see the light, their darkness would be their own fault, and not the fault of the sun. So likewise, if millions of men and women love spiritual darkness rather than light, the blame must be laid on their blind hearts, not on Christ. John 3 and Romans 1 both teach us their foolish hearts were darkened because they rejected the light. But whether men, listen to this, whether men and women will see it or not, 
Christ is the true son, and he is the light of the world. And yet, as he came, they did not receive him. You know, if you've ever done anything with shipping and receiving, you know that that's a pretty expensive enterprise, right? You ever tried to ship something these days? It's expensive, it's costly. You ever tried to ship something big? You know, you can have a car shipped somewhere if you want to. You can pay a lot of money for it, right? Every once in a while, we'll have something that we need to get back to my parents in North Carolina or something like that, and we won't dare pay for it to have it shipped. We'll just say, oh, we'll see you probably next year sometime, and we'll bring it then, because shipping can cost a lot. And did you know that sometimes when something is shipped to you, even though somebody paid so much, you can refuse shipment? You can say, I'm not going to take that, and they have to take it back. And in that case, it was all of that shipping cost for no good. Can you imagine that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world because he loved the world, that he could die for the world? And John chapter 1 says he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. But it gets worse. Look at verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. So verse 10 is that the whole world didn't recognize him. Verse 11 is his own people didn't recognize him. Now this is him speaking about the Jews, the people of Israel. Matthew Henry says not only to the world which was his own, but to the people of Israel that were particularly his own above all people. Of the Jews he came, among the Jews he lived, and to the Jews he was sent first. And the Jews did not recognize him. The people of Israel did not recognize this is God's son. You pick up the rest of the Gospels, and it's a big argument. Chapter after chapter after chapter of Jesus saying, I am of Israel. I'm the God of Israel. I'm the Savior of Israel. And Israel going, no, you're not. You're not from us. We know who we are. We know our identity. We're connected to Abraham. We're connected to Isaac. We're connected to Jacob. We know our history and our family tree and our lineage. And Jesus says, I'm telling you, even before they were, I am. I'm more important than them. Your forefathers, Abraham and them, they loved me. Y'all don't love me. It's just a big discussion about they don't recognize Christ as being the coming Savior King of Israel. They don't recognize that. And that's exactly what he's saying here in verse 11. Some people say that this, this prologue here is just a big summary of what John's going to cover in this whole gospel. But some people say that verses 10 and 11 right here are a summary of the first uh, 12 chapters. And then verses... Uh, uh, 12 and 13 are a summary of the next seven chapters. The Jews didn't receive him, and then the Gentiles start to receive him. This is what we have here. But notice, with all of that being said, that there is a rejection of the word. God, our maker, coming to us, and people saying, I don't think that's God. I don't know him. I don't see him. I don't recognize him. I'm not believing. That's what we have here. Now, earlier in the service, Matt McBroom read from Matthew 21, this parable that Jesus tells. It's called the parable of the tenants. It talks to somebody about a master of a house. He owned a vineyard, and he went away for a while, and he left, his ser he left some servants there to work, and and then he sent people to them, and they rejected all of them. They, they killed them. But it says this at verse 37. 
finally, the, the owner of the vineyard, which is to be God, finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. This is a story, a parable that Jesus tells. Finally, they, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Later on, as Jesus finishes up, he starts talking about the cornerstone that Christ is that the builders rejected. They rejected the cornerstone. Later on, it says, they perceived that he was speaking about them. You get that? Make no mistake about it, folks. God that made you sent his son for you. What are you going to do with that? We've been having a lot of discussion here in our leadership meetings about evangelism, helping people come to faith in Christ, having conversations about salvation, sin, the need of a Savior, the coming judgment, the need to get right with God. John chapter 1, his prologue, has made it very helpful for us. God made you. God loves you. God has given light to you, and yet... What are you going to do now with his son who came? Would you reject him? Would you reject that? Would you say, nah, not into that? I'm glad it works for you. Or will you receive him? Number one, we have responsibility from the word. Number two, there is a rejection of the word. But then lastly, we have a receiving of the word. For as dark and negative as verses 10 and 11 are, and they are, 12 and 13 are even more bright. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, there is a receiving of this word. You can receive him. In the midst of a world where many reject him, right? We are told that that broad path that people find that leads to destruction is filled with many. We are told that. But while there are many that find the broad path, there are some that jump on the narrow path. There are some that receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So how do you receive him? How do you get him? Well, John does us a huge favor here and makes it crystal clear. You believe in his name. Notice that he doesn't compl complicate it. You believe him. You believe the one that came. You believe what he said. You believe his message you believe in his name. You believe who he is. You believe his character. You believe who he, what he's about. You believe what he stands for. You believe his makeup. You believe that he is God and God's son. You believe that he is the word. You believe that he is our maker. You believe that he is the one that you are responsible for and accountable to. You believe those things. And when you believe Christ, you get Christ. When you believe God, you get God. 
When you believe him, he gives the right to become children of God. Now, some translations, and I know everybody out there has different translations, some translations of the Bible use the word power there, and it's close, but it's not best. It's, it's more right. It's not that you believe and then God gives you a power to do something. That's not right. It is he gives the right to become children of God. This is more about a privilege, right? Upon believing in him, you now have the right to be God's child. You are his child. That's what he says here. And that's what the people who receive him get. But notice he points out even more accurately in verse 13 You know, it's hard to write a summary, right? See, John's book is actually 21 chapters long. There's a lot there, and there are a lot of stories, and it's really good, and we love the Gospel of John. Many people consider it, you know, the the starting place that you'll read when you read the New Testament. This is a great book, John. We 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 can recall many things there. But it's much harder to write a summary, right? This is not even one full column, a half a page in my Bible. It's only 18 verses. It's short. What he does point out in verse 13 is that if you did believe and if you are a child of God, it was not, it was not your own doing. You remember in Ephesians 2 when Apostle Paul says, this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God so that no one will boast. We have been saved by grace through faith. God does that. Here's how he says it in verse 13. He calls it birth. You were born. He says you were born of God. So it's the new birth, which he explains very clearly in chapter 3, right? That whole story with Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. You know that. You know that passage. So this is a new birth. As we studied this week in our midweek Bible studies, this is that 2 Corinthians 5, new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, right? The old things have passed away and new things have come. There's been a new birth. There's new life here. There's new growth here. You've been born of God. And born of God is set opposed now to born of blood. Doesn't matter who your parents are. I'm serious. It does not matter who your parents are. we got five kids right here today, J.J., Eli, Noah, Carolina, and Liliana. And if they think their standing with God is going to come from anything from me or Val, they are dead wrong. They better receive this word of God, this Savior Jesus, on their own. They can't get him because I've got him. And don't we know that to be true? It's not from blood. It is not from blood. I don't care who your dad is, it hadn't brought you an inch closer to God, and I'm serious. It doesn't matter who your mom or dad are. So don't use it as an excuse against you, and don't use it as a false brag for you. You've got to hear this word, Jesus who he is, and receive him. They weren't born of blood, not born of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. This doesn't come from how hard you try, how good you are. This doesn't, come, this doesn't come from how obedient you are, how tough you are, how resilient you are. This doesn't come from somebody's good plans or good methods. We can't do church enough to make you born again, right? No, no, no. This must come from the birth that God gives. These people are born of God, verse 13 says. So if you're born of God... And you believe in his name, you receive him. And God gives you the right to be his child. Wow, what a thought. John MacArthur says, To receive him who is the word of God means to acknowledge his claims, place one's faith in him, 
and thereby yield allegiance to him. John Piper says that if you receive him and become a child of God, here's what you need to know. He comes to you as a savior, so you welcome his salvation. He comes to you as a leader, so you welcome his leadership. He comes to you as a provider, so you welcome his provision. He comes to you as counselor, so you welcome his counsel. He comes to you as protector, so you welcome his protection. He comes to you as authority, so you welcome his authority. He comes to you as king, so you welcome his rule. This is what it means to receive the incarnate word of God. The word who was with God, the word who was God, and the word who is God from the beginning, from all time. Jesus Christ, God's son, is the very one that God sent to save you. Now, what was it about his coming? It wasn't just his teaching. It was that he came and modeled to us what God is like, his holiness, his goodness. And then upon being crystal clear that he is God's son, he was crucified. He was crucified by the hands of evil men. He was crucified by the sovereign plan of God. He was hung to a tree, nailed to a cross, so that while hanging on the cross, crying out to his Father in heaven that he has direct access to, God put the sins of the world on him. And when God put the sins of the world on him, God turned his back on his son, judged his son, poured his wrath on his son, and killed his son Jesus so that you and I would not be judged and punished for our sins. God loves us so very much Not because it's so big or so many of us, but because he's so loving. That if you would believe in him and that message, you would receive him. Here today, you can become a child of God. There are those in verse 10 that reject him. There are those in verse 11 that reject him. But there are some that receive him. And really the beauty of being a believer in this world is that we walk around not knowing whether you receive or reject. You receive or reject. You receive or reject, right? You go to work tomorrow, and you don't know if they're going to receive or reject. And so God has told us, like John the Baptist, like Matt preached, that we are to be a witness. We are to keep pointing to the light. We are to keep pointing out the darkness. We are to keep pointing to the one who forgives the sins and offers grace and love to see who will believe. And here's what we know. God is always, always, always working that more and more people would receive him. God is always working so that more and more people would receive him. How about you? Do you receive him? Do you reject him? What's your thought on that? Have you been rejecting him up until this point and now you're thinking, man, I don't, I don't want to reject him anymore. Have you been considering receiving him and now you're thinking, I'm ready. I'm ready. I need to receive him. You know, during the quarantine, which is now going on over three months, we've been stuck at home quite a bit. And I've watched a little more girly movies than than I'd like to admit. These two daughters of mine have brought out a new soft spot in me that I didn't know was there. I've been watching plenty of kids' movies with my kids, and they look over and they say, Dad, are you crying? And I'm not sure. If they're not crying, should I be crying? There's some good kids' movies. Just recently, we watched Annie. Have y'all seen that? Obviously a classic, been redone many times, Annie. I wished it was a true story, but it wasn't. I looked it up. Daddy Warbucks, probably too good to be true. Annie's about an orphan who, richest man in the world, or one of them, Daddy Warbucks, takes her in to take care of her at Christmas to improve his image 
politically. Make a long story short, he kind of falls in love with her, wants to be her dad. She has no bigger, listen to me, she has no bigger desire than to meet her true parents. She asks and asks to meet her true parents. He's got so much power and wealth that he can help her find her true parents. They do all that. They got the FBI involved and all of that. They have her during Christmas break, Christmas week. And during the movie, they are set to meet her parents on Christmas Day. They're phonies. It's not the real parents. If you don't know the movie, then check it out. You get the true story. It's got a sweet ending to it. It's nice. But the people that are posing to be her parents come in on Christmas Day, and Daddy Warbucks, who's got all the money in the world, he's a billionaire, is wanting to give this little girl, who's probably seven or eight years old, her Christmas presents. I can't imagine the Christmas presents you would get as an orphan from a billionaire. And as they're waiting on her parents, she's got all her stuff packed, and she's sitting there on the stairs. She's so excited to meet her parents. Daddy Warbuck says, Annie, don't you want to open all your Christmas presents? The tree's like 50 feet tall and all that. Annie says this. She says, no, my parents are enough of a present for me. Daddy Warbucks was taken back by that. And I want to let you know something right now. You may be receiving a whole lot of things in your life. But Jesus is that gift, that present, that is enough for you. Do not be distracted by your inward sinfulness. Do not be distracted by this majorly fallen world. To where you think, I don't need that gift. Do not fall into the prideful response that rejects Christ. That rejects the loving gift that God gave himself for you. May your response be, that's my father and he is enough for me. Now, it's beautiful that Annie would say, if I'm getting my father and my mother, there's nothing else that matters. And so it should be to us. What an incorrect, inaccurate, wrong response it is for him to come into the world, for him to come to his own, for us to know about our Savior and then say, no thanks. I reject it. Instead, may we be those who receive him, who believe in his name, who say, God is making me alive. If you will trust him, you can receive him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this prologue of John and the crystal clear message how we can become your children. God, thank you that you have children. Thank you that you are a father. We worship you. Father, I pray that we would not reject anymore. God, work in our hearts that we would receive you, receive you by faith. Father, I pray for those listening, that if there's anybody watching online now that's not received you, that they would reach out to us. And I pray, God, if there's anybody here today that has not received you, that they would let us know. Father, forgive us for rejecting. 
Father, help us to know the responsibility that we have from you. And Father, by your grace, may we receive you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.